Welcome to King of Glory's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this week's encouraging message. For more information, please visit kingofglorycc.com. And I have very clear instructions. I wrote them down. Very clear instructions today for what I am to speak on. I am to open my mouth. He said, I will fill it with my word. And I'm to allow the spirit of prophecy that is the testimony of Jesus Christ to edify, to encourage this body and anyone else who hears it. So before I get into the word the Lord has, I just bless your ears right now to be open and to understand the word of the Lord and that it would impact your heart, that it would sow a seed of his kingdom that would bear fruit in all of your lives. Now I'm going to be bouncing around um, with two kind of two kind of key things, um, but if there's if there's one thing I want all of you to walk away with here today, this is my this is my key point. Um, I want you to walk away with with this understanding, that is that you are not defined by what you do. It is who you are that defines what you will do. This was a word that the Lord gave to me to shift the mindset that I had um, that was that was holding me in bondage and in fear. Because, you know, I would go into the word and I would read the scripture where it says sons of God are led by the spirit of God. And I would strive and I would strive and I would strive to follow the spirit because I was so afraid that I wouldn't hear him or that I would make the wrong choice until one day. I read that scripture and realized I am a son. I am a son. And and as such, his word says that because I'm a son, I'm led by his spirit. Then I heard a pastor say, why is it that we believe the enemy is better at deceiving us than he is at leading us? And it shifted everything for me. And it brought freedom from from perfectionism. It, 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 It brought freedom from the, those bonds of, of religion, of the do's this and don't do that and wear this and don't wear that and say this and don't say that. And I just broke free from that and realized I am a son. I am a son. And I just want to, I want to, we're going to dive deep into this today in so many different ways. You know, one that just comes straight to, straight to my mind. And uh, I actually was kind of thinking about saving this for later, but but why hold back? Let's throw it all out there. Let's just let's just start throwing things out. You know, my name means gift of God. So I love giving people gifts. It's who I am. And so I just want to give you an illustration in the scripture of, of this principle. And it comes from Matthew 27, verse 40. There's not going to be a slide for this because I'm just going to touch on it. Um, but in Matthew 27, verse 40, Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's been crucified and he's hanging there and the people are walking by him, mocking him, saying, this is the one who can destroy the temple and raise it up in three days. Let him save himself. And then they cry out to Christ on the cross and they say, if you are the son of God, take yourself down from the cross. What they didn't realize is it was his very identity that was holding him onto that cross. He was the son of God. It's it's actually because he was the son of God is why he was on that cross. 
And so that's what I'm saying this morning is that you're not defined by what you do. They wanted, they wanted him to prove his identity by doing something, by an action. And that's the way that, that, that we tend in the world to look at things. We want to look at your action and then we define you by that, right? If you, if you have a shortcoming, if you have a mistake, it becomes a label. Or even if, you, even if, you, uh, if you're successful and you're winning, it becomes this label. Right, and then and then that can be just just as bad as the other the the other side of that coin because because when you get labeled a winner, there's this pressure where you just have to do anything to win. That's why we see so many athletes and and, and so many celebrities. They they eventually they come to this fall and they come crashing down because there's there's been we've labeled them by their actions instead of allowing them to be who they were designed to be. And bringing that forth from their identity, and so that's why this morning, if you if you walk away with anything, I want you to walk away with this: to know who you are, because that is what's going to set the course of the things you do. You know, you look at that verse and you hear them say, "If you are the Son of God, take yourself down from the cross," and it sounds very familiar. I've heard it before. I, I when I was reading it, I knew I had heard that phrase before, and and I was taken back after Jesus was baptized. He gets led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, right? Satan comes to him, and he wants to tempt him to sin against his father. And what does he say? If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself from this high place. Man, the enemy hates our identity. The enemy hates our identity, right? Because it says that all creation is groaning for the revealing of what? The sons of God. For us to walk in knowing who we are, and from that place, when you know who you are, and this is what this we're gonna get to see this. Oh man, oh I'm on fire now. Okay, um, when you when you know who you are, it it not only brings freedom here internally, and it, it not only gives you a freedom and a power, but it starts affecting everybody you come in contact with, and you just can't help it. You just can't help it because when you walk in that, other people want to walk in it too. Man, so good. Yeah, you know, the word, it says, it says to be holy as your father is holy. And I know a lot of you have heard this before, but it's just a reminder. This is just another, just another supporting point for this principle I'm teaching today. It says, be holy as your father is holy. It doesn't say do holy, because you can't do holiness. You have to be holy. It's something you are, right? It's something you are, and it's something none of us are until we get saved and we get filled with his what? Holy Spirit. It's the reason his name is holy, right? He makes us, he makes us holy. And then it's, and then it's from that identity that we impact the world around us. And so we're going to get into that today. And where we're going to go is John 4. You'll notice I didn't say a verse because we're going to start in verse 1. And we're just going to go and go and go. I think it has 54 verses. Yeah, it has 54 verses. And uh, ideally, we'll go through the whole chapter. Um, and there's a, there's a good point for that. And that's what I want to share with you. Because these, uh, between this and then what I'm about to share with you, I'm going to be bouncing back and forth uh, between them today. So um, just buckle up, hold on, keep up, you know, grab what you can get. Um, what I want to share with you is, is a prophecy of the Lord um, that he gave to me uh, for this region, for this city. 
Um, and it's not necessarily a unique prophecy. Um, I don't know if, uh, um, if a lot of you were here when Michael Thornton was here, but he actually ended up teaching from uh, this section of scripture uh, in one of the sessions. Um, and the reason for that was because the Lord had told him um, the same thing which he had told me actually separately. It wasn't until I met Michael Thornton that I had that word confirmed by him. Um, and it was that the Lord is wanting to release a movement in this region. And the, and the, and the, um, the characteristics of that movement are outlined in John 4. The Lord said to me, John 4 is the blueprint for the movement that he wants to release. He wants to release something in this area where there's going to be such a great harvest that the, that the spiritual Babylon that, that holds this region is going to fall. That's the word. And his kingdom is going to be established. And there's so many dynamics of that that are going to get carried out in this region. But the Lord has said, John 4 is the blueprint. And so that's where we're going to go this morning. We're going to start in verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but it was his disciples, he left Judea and he departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. I'm just going to pause here. Um, because I want to speak into, we're, we're, we're reading this blueprint of what the Lord is wanting to release in this region. And the very first thing we come to is that Jesus is at Jacob's well. And as I, as I began reading through this after the Lord gave me that word, he stopped me here and he said, it is not a coincidence that this event takes place at Jacob's well. And if you were here for Michael Thornton's teaching, you got to see a historical context that gives this such so much significance. Um, uh, before myself, the Lord said, this is not a coincidence, this is at Jacob's well. Because when this movement begins to be birthed and, and it breaks forth in this region, there are going to be things that happen that are going to mirror the events of Jacob's life. The Lord told me that, that, that there are going to be signs and wonders and miracles, so much so that, that the heavens are going to be open like Jacob's ladder, and we're going to be, we're going to be able to see the angels ascending and descending into this region as they bring healing and deliverance and salvation. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be incredible. But the other thing he said in context to being at Jacob's well is that this movement is going to be birthed from a generation of Jacob. I don't know if you know where I get that from. It's a psalm... I don't know. It's okay. I can't remember the number. 24, I think. But it says, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Those with clean hands and a pure heart. This is the generation of Jacob who will seek the face of the Lord. Another dynamic of Jacob that is going to be very apparent in this time as he releases this movement is that Jacob 
went face to face with God himself, and he wrestled him. And he said, I will not let go until you bless me. And I don't know if any of you guys, like when you think about wrestling, I don't know if you think about uh, WWE, but, I, but if, that, if that's so, I want you to see a, a different picture, okay? Because uh, when I was a freshman in high school, I, I was actually on the wrestling team, and I was terrible at it because I was this little scrawny runt, um, but it gave me a lot of insight into Jacob wrestling with God because there's nothing more intense and when you go face to face with a with a, a high schooler, but another man, right? And you lock up. Has anybody ever seen that in like Greco Roman or freestyle wrestling? When like, the, thank you, mom. Glad some, somebody's somebody's on the same page as me. Really, really. I mean, my dad can vouch for this. He wrestled too, right? But there's nothing that like your heart starts pounding when you're face to face with this guy. That whistle blows and y'all lock up. And it's like, what? Here we go. Like, you're in it now, right? But see, Jacob, he wasn't going face to face with a man. He went face to face with God. And he locked up. He said, I'm not letting go until you bless me. He never walked the same, right? You look at the blessings that were on Jacob's life and imagine if an entire generation went face to face with the Lord and locked locked up with him, said, we're not letting go until you bless us, right? Because his word says, his word says that when my people will humble themselves and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, I will bring healing to their land. It is not a coincidence that this event takes place at Jacob's well, okay? We are in verse 7. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. I want to pause here again to speak about an element of this prophecy, of this movement, of the will of God for this region. And that is that, that is that he is going to break down these barriers and these divides between people who have no dealings with each other. Right? In this region, historically, there are, there are divides between races, divides between men and women, divides between political parties. There's all these barriers that have been set in place where people, just in general, just people are divided. And he wants to break that down, right? Just like, just like Jesus here speaks up to this Samaritan woman as a Jew. He says, Jews don't have any dealings with Samaritans. Why are you talking to me, right? He's wanting to disrupt that. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. What I love about this is when I read this verse, I can see Jesus declaring, I know who I am. I see Jesus declaring his identity, right? 
And, and Elisa and I, we have an ongoing conversation about whether Jesus knew as a baby who he was or whether he had to learn from his father who he was. And we both have separate opinions, and it's fun to, and it's fun to ponder. There's an ongoing conversation about which one was it, right? Because we, in our walk, we're having to, we're having to commune with the Father and listen to him and let him tell us who we are, right? Just like when he spoke over Jesus when he was baptized, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, right? But I'm not here to try to prove my case to my wife. Let's move on. <laughs> I mean, he was 12 years old in the temple. He said, he said listen, he said, he's in the temple. They left him behind. He's in the temple. He's teaching the teachers. And the parents walk in like, what are you doing? I'm in my father's house. What are you talking about? The boy knew who he was. Never mind. Okay. Verse 11. Verse 11. This isn't, no, I told, listen, this, I'm sorry. Verse 11. That's all right. It's all right. I made my bed. I'll sleep in it. Oh. Verse 11. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? How many times have you guys had somebody speak into you and let you know what you lack? Right? It was so important that Jesus knew who he was in this moment. She's calling out what he lacks. You don't have anything to draw water with. The thing was, she didn't see the well he was drawing from. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Lord, give us this water today. Give us your water, Jesus. We want to drink from the cup that is in your hand, Jesus. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that, you have spoken truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped. You know what I love about this is that Jesus not only knew who he was, he knew who she was. He knew the events that had taken place in her life, right? And here in this moment, he calls those things about her that she may not want other people to see. He called them into the light, right? But there was no condemnation here. He just said, you've spoken well. That's true. That's a true statement you just made about yourself. And he called her into the light without condemnation, right? And this goes back to the very, the very point that I, 
that I was making earlier, that you're not defined by the things that you do. Right? This woman was, we assume, an adulteress. Just by what he says, you've had five husbands. The one now that you're with now isn't even your husband. He didn't say that to her. He didn't label her with that, right? Because, because he had made her. He knew who she was. He knew, right? And I'm not, I'm not up here to try to, to try to preach that that you can, that you can go and do whatever you want to do. I'm not preaching against, you know, following righteousness whatsoever this morning. Right? We are to seek first his kingdom and its righteousness. And I agree with that. But you see, what's beautiful about this moment is when you see what the Lord is doing, it'll take you back to Isaiah 6. At least it took me back to Isaiah 6. So that's where I'm going to take you. So I can show you this. Right, in Isaiah 6, Isaiah, the prophet, is taken in to the throne room of God. And the holiness of God is revealed to him in such a manner that that Isaiah, within himself, starts realizing his sin and his impurities and his unrighteousness. This is a prophet of God, right? He, He saw righteousness, but when he hit the presence of the Most Holy, he realized Because he cried out, he said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. What I find interesting about his choice of words is that Isaiah was a prophet, a prophet of God, right? His very occupation in this world was his mouth. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hands a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. He touched it to my mouth. The very thing Isaiah had said was unclean. He touched it to my mouth. And then he said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. You see, what I'm, what I'm trying to show you this morning is that you can come into the presence of God just as you are. But you will not leave the same. You can come in with all the brokenness, with all the shame, right? With everything that you've done. And by the time you leave there, You're a son. It's true. He did it for me. Right? He did it for me. So I I know it's true. Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. Right? But that didn't keep Paul from his identity. He didn't allow that to really become his label. Right? Because he had encountered the living God. And when you encounter the living God, when you encounter his holiness, changes you. you know up until the point that Jesus stepped on the scene when when somebody was suffering from leprosy they got ostracized right it was in the law of God to to quarantine them right because it was contagious 
if that person with leprosy were to touch you, you would, you would get leprosy. And so it's in the law of God to, to keep his people healthy. You have, to, you have to, you know, quarantine the leper. But when Jesus steps on the scene, he touches the leper. The leper becomes clean. You see the correlation? Right? You see the correlation? When we, when we get in the presence of God, we can, we can be infested with sin. And just one touch of who he is, which is holy, changes us. And then the word says to be holy like he's holy, right? Be like him. And in that, when your identity is set in that, the righteousness, the purity, all those things are going to follow. Because it's your identity, it's who you are, and that, and that is going to decide the things that you do. And that's what he's doing here with the woman at the well. He's calling out the junk, right? The thing that she probably wanted to keep most hidden. If she would have known who Jesus was, that he was the Messiah, she probably would have wanted to keep that very, very hidden from him. Because it's our nature. It's our nature. We, we, that shame, that condemnation that we put on ourselves, he's not putting that on us, but we put on ourselves, it, it holds us back. We go, I'm not worth it. I'm not worthy of you. We do it all the time. When I got saved, I came to thrive for the first time, and I'm sitting there, right, as all these young people are worshiping around me with all their heart. And I don't know the song, so I'm not singing. I don't think I would have sang anyways because I was afraid lightning was going to strike me. I don't know. But I'm sitting there, and in my mind, it's the same thought cycle over and over again. I shouldn't be here. I don't deserve it. These people are better than I am. They do not want to know who I am. They do not want to know the things that I've done and the things that I've seen and the things that I've said. They don't, I, I should not be here. And then, and then this powerful voice who would one day become the voice of my wife stops singing, speaks up, and says there's somebody sitting in this room who does not believe they deserve to be here, who, who, who believes they do not deserve the love of the Father and he is saying that you do. And when that happened, when that word of the Lord broke forth in that room and I knew it was me, everything got broken down. All of a sudden, I was, fa- I was, I was being drawn in face to face with the living God. I told you, he did this for me. He did this for this woman at the well. He's done this with so many people in here. It's amazing. You don't have to be perfect, right? You know what I love about the word holy that doesn't get talked about often enough is that, yes, being holy is is completely pure, completely clean, but it also means to be completely unique. When we say, Lord, you are holy, we are saying there is no one like you. And then what does your father tell you to do? Be holy like he is holy. There's no one like you. There's no one like you. No one like you. Definitely no one like you, Mrs. Joe James. For sure. Seriously. There's no one like you. You were made unique on purpose, right? 
But when we live trying to define ourselves by our actions, we, we get into this place of comparison where, where I want to compare myself to Jason and I want to beat myself up about why I'm not spending enough time in prayer and intercession with the Lord. Because this man, he, he's given his life to praying for this body, for the church, for this region, for so many things. It's his, I mean, it is his bread. It is his food. And it's amazing. But I'm not Jason. And if I allow myself to, to try to define myself saying that, you know, it, if I'm a son of God, I need, to, I need to be in hours and hours of intercession. And I try to, I try to hold myself to that with this, this, this religious, these religious chains of like, I have to do this. And what I find is I open this book and I start reading and this rage and this frustration starts springing up within me. Why? Because I'm not, I'm not communing with the Lord. I'm not being me. I'm not being who he made me to be. He says to be holy as he is holy, which means you are unique, one of a kind, beautiful in every way. All right, where were we? Verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Don't write off Israel. Salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father, listen to this, the Father is seeking. The Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit. Those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. You know, the, just, a, just a warning, I'm, I'm transitioning back to the prophecy that I was given from the Lord. Earlier, uh, back in uh, verse... Verse 9, I talked about the, the barriers that have been put up between people to divide people, right? Those same barriers are being put up in the church between denominations, politics. You think this and I think that. We can't be in the same room together. And here it is. Right? Our fathers worship on this mountain, but you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. But what's Jesus' response? The hour is coming, and now is. And now is where you will no longer, you're not going to worship on this mountain. You're not going to worship in Jerusalem, but you're going to worship in spirit and in truth. You know, one of my favorite descriptions recently about the body of Christ and the church and, and our identity collectively is that we are a temple being built up as living stones. Both Peter and Paul talk about this very thing, that we are a temple being built up. And when you think about that and you look back, right, 
the Lord came to Moses and he spoke to Moses and he taught him how to build the tabernacle. And it was very, very specific, right? If you guys, if you guys want to learn about that, go get dinner with Mr. Rick Sampson, right? Because that man is an incredible teacher and he has studied that word. And I, I'm almost willing to bet that he could rebuild the tabernacle if he really, if he really wanted to. Really, I can't tell you how many times I've been going through out here before a service when he's doing his Bible study and he's teaching. And, and in, some, in some ways, I feel like Joshua outside the tent because I'm just walking by and all of a sudden, this teaching is kind of flowing out of this little room and, and I catch something and I'm like, and then I just keep on walking and I'm just, that makes so much sense. He carries so much of that because he's, he's devoted in this word. And then he's, he's anointed to release that and be able to be able to explain it in such a way that you, that you, you, you can see it. And it's, it's amazing. But you see, when, when God came to Moses, he gave him very specific instructions about the tabernacle. When God came to, to David, when David wanted to build a house for the Lord, he gave him very specific instructions about how the temple was to be built. Those instructions were given to Solomon and followed to the T. And what's interesting is, yes, the Lord anointed the workers that were working on both the tabernacle and the temple. He gave them different skill sets and different giftings to make sure that the work got done. But when the tabernacle was laying in pieces, or when the temple was just a bunch of raw materials, the glory of the Lord wasn't there. It wasn't until that tabernacle was built exactly as the Lord had said, that that temple was built exactly as he had instructed. It, was, it wasn't until everything was together and then the people cried out in worship. And what happened? His glory filled that temple in such a way they couldn't even stand in it. And so what I'm saying this morning is that there are so many divisions in the church that need to get taken down and broken apart, and we need to come together in spirit and in truth. Because until we do that, the temple is all over the place, right? The Father has given very, very specific instructions to the Son as to how to build the temple. And Jesus is going to do it to the T. And I believe that. We are coming together in this time. He is raising up unity in this time, specifically in worship. Right? Jeremy carries this with a burning passion. And I don't know if any of you have ever come to a worship set, whether it was with All of Heaven. I think we did it when Michael Thornton was here. But Jeremy will go out into the community, into other churches, and will gather instrumentalists and vocalists, and he brings them all together up here in their various gifts. And they just start, and they just start worshiping. And all of a sudden, you feel it. The presence of the Lord during those worship sets is so incredibly powerful. And I believe it's because of that passion that he carried to unify the church in this region. And when that temple gets built together, and then we start crying out in spirit and in truth, the glory falls. 
that can happen in this little house, if this whole region, if the church in this whole region were to gather together to worship in spirit and in truth, he would rend the heavens and these mountains would shake in his presence. Let it be. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. We're in verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. You know, throughout these next few weeks, we get to celebrate Advent, the expectancy of of the Messiah's coming. But he has come. Jesus is he. He says it here plainly. I who speak to you am the Messiah who is called Christ. I am the saving one, the expected one. Here I am. And at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman, right? Because they still had that same mindset from where we talked about earlier. Jews don't have any dealings with Samaritans. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Kind of wish they would have. It would have been incredible the insight that Jesus might have pulled out to give us the tools to, to bring unity back anyway. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. It is the glory of kings to seek it out. Do not be afraid to ask him questions. I don't know who in here needed to hear that, but I know that I need to hear it regularly because I don't because I feel like if I start questioning God that all of a sudden he might become lesser. But just before that The woman said, when the Messiah comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus is he. Ask him. You might be amazed to see what you find out. Verse 28, the woman then left her water water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city, and they came to him. Sorry, I laughed for a minute there because I just think it's funny that the very sole reason that she came to that well, she left behind because of her amazement with who she had just run into. Just saying, sometimes he leads you to a place and you think you're going for one purpose. And then he encounters you. And you'll probably forget your water pot because it's amazing. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one one another, has anybody brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. 
you know, anytime I read through this, this chapter, like I'm reading through it with you guys this morning, I read this verse where it says that she went and cried out to the men of the city and they were all coming to him. And so I can imagine, I don't know if this is how it was, but allow me to imagine. I imagine this multitude of people coming out from this city and Jesus sitting there talking with his disciples and saying, lift up your eyes and see. See the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered in to their labors. Listen, that's a word for the church this morning. I, Jesus, has sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered in to their labors. Come on. You know, someone who carries this so well in our house is Dan Webb. He is not afraid to just open his mouth for the gospel. You know, I personally, sometimes when I'm in a conversation with somebody, I get so paralyzed by what if I don't say the right thing? What if I, what if I try to communicate the gospel to them, but they don't hear it? And they think I said something else, and it actually deters them from Jesus. But anytime Dan Webb gets up here to preach, and he teaches us about evangelism, which is this right here. He teaches us about it. It always fills me with another, another bit of boldness just to open my mouth and just tell somebody, God loves you. It might be all they need. Don't say I'll do that four months from now. I'm telling you the time is now. I'm serious. You know, I told you as we started this that I, w- I had been given a prophecy of the Lord for a movement in this region. And I'm telling you, it's not four months from now. Right now. It's happening right now. There's some witnesses in here. It's happening right now. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. All you need is your testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, but because we ourselves have heard him and we know this is indeed the Christ and the Savior of the world. I'm going to come back to this as I wrap up. Look at this, guys. We've gone through 42 verses, 12 more. I love it. Come on. Now, after the two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, 
for they also had gone to the feast. So when Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water into wine, there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. I want you to see here, they're, they, they're receiving him based off of the things that he has done. They're identifying him based off of the things that he has done, not who he is. And so I want you to see the difference of somebody responding to him. And this isn't necessarily a bad thing. They're not saying he's a crazy man. They're saying this is a miracle worker. And here's how they receive him. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son. For he was at the point of death. And Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed in his whole household. This again was the second sign that Jesus did when he came out of Judea into Galilee. We just read a whole chapter of scripture in a church service, and I love it. Let's land this plane. When Jesus comes back into Galilee, they're defining him by what he can do. They've seen the signs, they've seen the wonders, and they want to see more. And they say to him, unless, he says to them, unless you guys see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. And with this prophecy that I was given, you remember I said that, that there are going to be things that mirror Jacob, that there are going to be signs and wonders Open heavens. I don't know what that looks like, but it's got to be pretty cool. But the Holy Spirit said to me, do not fall in love with the signs. Do not fall in love with the wonders. Fall in love with Him. They are there so that His Word is going forth in power. They are there as a witness to show Jesus' authority over death, over sickness, over oppression. But don't fall in love with the things that he can do. Fall in love with who he is. Because here's the warning. The word of God says that after the great harvest will come a great falling away. And if you fall in love with the signs and with the wonders, there is coming one who can call down fire from the sky and he will blow your mind and lead you astray. Fall in love with the Messiah, the one who saves all the world. You know, I told you at the beginning that, that your identity being 
defined by your actions is, is like a two-sided coin. You could be defined and labeled by your shortcomings, right? Here are the people mocking Jesus on the cross. Or you can be defined by your, your success. Here are people receiving Jesus just because he's a miracle worker. And so, so just as I say that so just as I say that we are not to define ourselves by the things that we do, but it's, but it's who we are that defines what we will do, Jesus is the same way. He is the Son of God. And because of that, he can heal your body from disease. Because of that, he can deliver you from your oppression. Because of that, he made the greatest sacrifice anybody could ever make. He said, nobody takes my life from me. Nobody had the authority to take his life from him. He laid it down because of who he was. Because of who he was. It says he is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So we've just gone through this whole chapter because the Lord had told me that this was a blueprint what his will is in this region. So what is the blueprint? My son's excited. What is the blueprint? It's the well. It's that you would come as you are before the living God. And that you would allow him to transform you in such a way that you will forget why you ever even came in the first place, you will leave it behind and then you're going to go, right? Same thing in Isaiah 6, right? Isaiah gets transformed. Unclean lips, his iniquity gets taken away. What's the very next thing that it says? Who will I send? Come on. You got some people on board. It says, who will I send? The very same thing happens with this woman. She encounters the Messiah, and she just leaves her water pot behind. She goes back into her city. It says all these men from her city came out to come meet him. So see, you go in, you encounter the Lord. He transforms you. You go out. You testify, and it's going to draw people in. So then you come in together, and they're going to come in because of what you told them about him. But then all of a sudden, he's going to encounter them in the way that he designed them to be encountered by him. And it's just going to repeat. They're going to get transformed, and they're going to go out, and they're going to be living their lives. You know what's so beautiful about this? She was just coming to draw water, right? Jesus taught in the temples, but he would... He loved to encounter people in the midst of their daily lives. And here's where I go back to my key point, that you are not defined by the things that you do, but it's who you are that defines what you will do. You see, I work for Wells Fargo. My job, I'm very blessed in my, in my position. But although my business card says I am a personal banker, I am not. I am Matthew Arrowwood, who works as a personal banker for Wells Fargo. You see the difference? 
Because here's the difference. If I am a personal banker, all I know is banking. All I know is numbers. All I know is accounts. All I know is I need to make the next, the next sale or I need to close the next loan. That's all I know. And it happens. Right? I have days I go into work and I go in there with the mindset that I'm a personal banker. But let me tell you what happens when I, when I wake up in the morning remembering this principle and I walk into my work walking in it. Did anybody get to meet Alexandria who was here? Um, she moved uh, back home what, in Michigan. She moved back home to Michigan, but she was here for a short while with us. Do you know how she ended up here? Six, seven years ago, she had opened an account at Wells Fargo. She then moved to Florida to go to Bible school, and while in Florida, had kind of forgotten about the account and just let it, just kind of had let it sit. And so now she was in Asheville because because uh, she felt like the Lord had called her here for something. And so she's here in Asheville and Holy Spirit reminds her she has a bank account that she needs to take care of, right? There's no other way to put it because she didn't even know that my branch existed where it was until she's driving down the road one day and sees a Wells Fargo sign and goes, oh yeah, I need to check on that account. She pulls into our parking lot. She comes into the branch and who else but me? Welcome to Wells Fargo. How are you today? She begins to tell me how she's in Bible school, which gets me excited because I'm like, she loves Jesus. And so we start talking about Jesus in the middle of this bank. I know, I know where my desk is in the bank. I don't know what, uh, what, what every branch looks a little different. Every bank looks a little different. But in my branch, you have kind of just this main lobby space. The teller line is up here. And there's these cubicles right here in the middle of the lobby. And that's where I sit right in the middle of the whole branch. Everybody hears the conversations that I have. Everybody. Listen, noise carries through that branch. I can hear people talking in the break room and they can hear me. The whole branch can hear the things that I'm saying. So here we are conversating about Jesus and the goodness of the Lord and how he leads. And she's getting excited. And that's how she ended up here. She encountered me when we started talking about Jesus. She goes, wow, here's somebody who loves the Lord. Let me go visit the church that he's a part of. And she came here, and, and I can't even go into the list of the things the Lord did for her while she was here. Based on who this house is, she received healing because, because, because this house has been called a house of healing. It's why the Lord brought her to Asheville, brought her to me, and then brought her into this house. And she received healing, and then she went back home with one thing in mind reconciliation in her family. What a powerful thing when we grasp this concept that it's who we are that will define what we do. One day I had a guy come in in the middle of a financial crisis, debt here, debt there, not sure how he was going to make it, trying to start a new business, all of these things, right? He's wearing this, this necklace with a, with a cross on it. And I'm talking through him, his financial situation, and things are starting to look hopeless. But I know better. And the thing was, I didn't know if that cross around his neck was just a pretty piece of jewelry or if it meant something to him, but I was going to tell him what it meant. And so I looked at him with all this, all these numbers and this information in front of me on my desk. I said, listen, I don't think we have an option for you right now. I think you, you're going to have to re rethink the way you do your budget. You're going to have to reallocate your income to be able to, to help pay off some of these debts. Maybe when we get in a, be a better spot, we might be able to uh, figure out a better tool and a better option. 
I said, but I don't want you to leave here hopeless because that cross around your neck is a symbol of hope for the hopeless. And this man in the middle of the branch again, telling you guys, I'm in the middle of the branch. We're busy. Tellers are busy. He's sitting there. And he just starts crying. He looks at me. He goes, he's speaking to me. I'm like, yes, I am. And he said, no, no, no. He is speaking to me through you. This man is in just a financial crisis, right? And it's so easy when we end up in a financial crisis to just lose hope. This man was kind of at his wit's end with it. He didn't know what was going to happen. But all it took was a young man noticing this cross on his neck and saying, that's a symbol of hope. And he can do something. And he left there with one thing in mind, and that's that he was going to go home and hit his knees and listen. That was the option I had for him. and He took it. Seriously. Listen, these stories go on. They go on and on and on and on. But can I go on? Do you, are you enjoying these testimonies or, or no? Because they're fun. I had this lady come in, and she's opening an estate account. If anybody you know what's, what an estate account is, it means that somebody you love has passed away, and you've been put in charge to handle their final everything. It's a hard place to be. Let me tell you one thing. It's so easy for me. I've done this a couple times. People come in to do estate accounts. It's like a, I mean, I just do it all the time. It's just, I can just start going through the motions. But I've had to learn to teach myself to stop and pause and make sure that I show compassion for this person because, because they're going through a very hard thing on top of trying to figure out a very hard legal thing. So I always try to stop and, and tell them that I'm sorry. But this one day, this lady came in. She's opening an estate account for her father. Throughout the opening of the account, we start talking about Jesus. I think she said she worked for the Cove or something, which clicked for me. And I said, oh, you, like, do you have a relationship with the Lord? I mean, you have to to work at the Cove. So um, we start talking about Jesus. And in the middle of opening this account for her to handle final expenses for her dead father, she's been, she begins to tell me about her son and her daughter who have moved to Colorado and they're not walking with the Lord and how that is what's weighing on her heart, right? There's a lot of emotional trauma with her her father passing away, but it was expected. She's being able to process that, but what she can't process is her children who have walked away from the Lord. And so we, right there in the middle of that branch, we started to pray. We started to pray for her kids right there in the middle of that branch. And she was so grateful, right? She left, she came in, a state account, children that aren't working with the Lord, all this stuff, and she leaves with hope. She leaves shining with joy. It's who he is. It's who you are, okay? All right, man. You know, I knew walking into today that sharing this message to bring freedom, to bring healing. But ultimately, I'm certain that there are people in this house that may have not been walking with the Lord. And I hear him saying, I do not define you by what you have done, but it is who you are that will define what you will do. And this morning, there's an invitation. You can go from being an orphan to being a son. 
you can go from being a wretch to being righteous. It's here. It's available. And if I can, I just, I just want to invite the prayer team to go ahead and come up. Because here's the thing. Jesus speaks to his followers and he tells them, who among you, having a hundred sheep, if one would go astray, would leave the other 99 in the wilderness to go and find that one? But I tell you that, that, that when he goes and he finds the one, he will bring it, he will bring that lost sheep up in his arms. He will throw it over his shoulders and there will be great rejoicing. He will invite all of his friends and all of his family to come and to feast and to celebrate because of the one that was lost and is now found. He says, so it is in the kingdom of heaven when one soul that is lost would come into salvation. That celebration is so much more than the 99 who stayed. I say that this morning because it might only be one. It might only be one, right? But I have the prayer team up here who are all very strong in faith, which is why they're up here. And if that one is you today, I want you to be bold. And I want you to come. I want you to come up here. Because the rejoicing that will take place, not only in this room, but in heaven, will be great. And the second that you come out of your seat, you will feel it. If you've been sitting here all through worship, I don't deserve to be here. Look at the things that I've done. He did it for me. He did it for me. And he will do it for you. Now here's the next people I want to invite up. If you've been walking, I don't care what you want to call it. If you want to call it perfectionism, if you want to call it religion, if you've been walking and, and you, you so badly, you want to seek the heart of God, you want to do the things that he has for you, but you feel paralyzed because you're not sure if you're going to do it right. Or if maybe all your life people have defined you by the things that you do. I want you to come up here and receive prayer. I want you to come up here, not, not because, just because these guys are awesome people to have praying for you, but because he, your father, wants to speak into you. He wants to tell you your identity because he wants those things that you want. He's placed those things in you. He's wanting to birth those things through you. But there's some people in here who have been who have been paralyzed by anxiety because they're afraid of getting it wrong. Can't mess it up. I promise you. So I want you to come forth and I want you to get prayer. And before everybody leaves, I just want to pray over you and bless you that in this coming week, the Father would reveal to each and every one of you who you are. Who you are. That is something that nobody can ever take away from you. So Jesus, we thank you today. Lord, we thank you for your word, which has impacted our hearts today. We thank you for seed sown that will bear fruit for your kingdom.
Lord, I thank you that there are people who will walk away today having encountered you. They're being drawn in by who you are. Lord, I ask that you would continue to meet us face to face, even in the most unlikely of places. Continue to teach us who we are. Lord, more than anything, we love you. We declare that we love you. We thank you that you came. The word of God says that for God so loved the world, he sent his son, that all those who believe would not perish, but they would have eternal life. The very next verse says, he did not send his son to condemn the world, but he sent his son that the world might be saved through him and by him. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is who he is. So, Lord, seal these words by your spirit. Lord, we thank you for your body, for your blood. And let it be just as you have spoken, Lord. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to King of Glory Sermon of the Week. Connect with us on Instagram at KOG underscore Asheville and on Facebook at facebook.com slash KOG Asheville.